Amen. Good morning. It's great to see everybody. It's always get energized just walking up here and seeing all the faces. Uh, my name is Matt. If you're new to us, I'm one of the pastors here. For those of you who are regulars, you know that our, our lead pastor, Tom, is, is he's literally walking 500 miles right now. He's on a, like a pilgrimage, and uh, he is uh, more than halfway into it. His wife, Beth, is going to join him uh, tomorrow, and uh, he has a blister. So pray for Tom's blister and uh, for the fact that he's walking 500 miles, which is pretty impressive. Uh, no, he is, uh, he is away uh, for the summer. Uh, he, he's been here 18 years, and uh, we have a sabbatical policy where every seven years, uh, you're supposed to go and spend a little time away refreshing, refilling the creative tank, and uh, he's never taken one, and he's doing that right now, so we're really happy for him that he's getting to do that, and that Beth is able to join him and, and get some of that same refreshment as well, so keep him in your prayers, keep the blister in your prayers, but I think he's fine, he's in good shape, he's good to go, and he is getting an impressive beard, I'm going to tell you, uh, it's, it's, he told me he didn't know how long it would last, I'm guessing it will last until his wife arrives, and then that'll be the end of the beard, so you can pray for that as well. Uh, well, so, uh, one of the... <laughs> One of the hardest things, believe it or not, to figure out when we have, when we plan our worship service is where to talk about what are very insufficiently called the announcements. So we call them action steps. Let me tell you why. Uh, first of all, there's so many things going on. Uh, it, 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 there's just no possible way. We'd be here three hours if we dug into all the ways that God is working in us and through us and out into the city. Uh, just amazing little things. We have a group right now of students in the Dominican Republic doing ministry in the Dominican Republic. There is a group of, of people, business people, venture capitalists, who have come together to create basically a VC fund for ministries that they personally give into and they invite other people people into as lead investors to, to invest in our city wisely um, by vetting these organizations and helping them figure out best practice. That's going on. There's a million, million things we could talk about every week. So let me just encourage you in this. Um, Please keep, uh, keep up with us. Uh, check out the website. Always check the calendar on the app. Follow Instagram. That's probably the best thing you can do. Nicole Gonzalez, our social media manager, does an amazing job of really bringing the life of the church to you through Instagram. So following us on Instagram might be your best bet to know a lot about what's going on and even uh, specific details about events and things that you might want to come to. But there are a few things that we always like to say every Sunday, especially for those of you who are new. Uh, explore, discover, grow. Those are three really important, simple words to remember. Explore, discover, grow. We explore the Christian faith, uh, life from a Christian perspective, what it means to have a relationship with, with God through Christ, through something what we call Alpha. This is actually a thing that's been around for uh, a long time around the world. 30 million people have been through this thing. And uh, it, what it is, is it's just a series of conversations that begin with a meal and that you watch a video uh, that sort of talks about various uh, things from a Christian perspective. But then, just the real value, the gold of it is the sit-down conversations you have in small groups where no one is allowed to tell someone else what to do. No one's allowed to correct. No one's allowed to judge. No one's allowed to set you straight. You just talk because we believe that God is alive and that he talks with you. You know, it's not just we who have to talk about it. And so uh, that's a great thing to do. We're, we just finished our last alpha before summer. Another one will start up in the early fall. But if you're new to it, you can check it out on the website, uh, alphausa.org. You can learn all about it. Uh, you can even watch the videos that we watch. And also, you can be thinking over the summer about who you might know that would be a great candidate to come to alpha. So think about that. Discover. What does that mean? Well, if you want to discover what life is like at Rio, what it means to join our community, be a part of life and culture here and what we believe. Uh, we have a thing called Starting Point, and every month 
Um, and this one's coming up next weekend, next Sunday, between services. We go through that door and up into the Ingram Cafe upstairs. And uh, we just do a little overview of who we are and we answer your questions. Gives you a chance to get to know some people. And then if you do decide you want to jump in at a deeper level and talk about what it means to be a member of a church community, we have kind of a self-directed process where you get a, a, a coach who comes alongside you and helps you really figure out habits and practices in life here at Rio. So that's next week. And then finally, grow. All right, so here's the thing with the Christian faith. Um, we have this uh, expression, the promised land is not for us. So in the Bible, it talks about this idea that God makes a promised land for his people, a land flowing with milk and honey, where it's wonderful and at peace and beautiful and just and the way it ought to be. And the worst thing anybody can take away from a Christian message is the idea that that's where it stops for you. You ask Jesus into your heart, God gives you your fire insurance, he gives you your key to your mansion, and then you're done. No, it only just begins it only just begins there. God gives the promised land for his people to step out into the world and be a blessing to the nations. So in other words, we grow all the time. Everything we do is not for us. Everything we do is to enrich, encourage, equip, admonish, send us out that door into a world that needs love. And so we grow. And one of the ways that we do that, one of the central ways is on Wednesday nights, something we call spiritual formation. It happens right again through that door or you can go outside into the Ingram Center. There's a, a theater right back here uh, where our pastor of spiritual formation, Sam Smith, does an incredible. He's just an unbelievably rich teacher, uh, just spends his life in study all the time. And he's been going through this really cool series uh, called The Miracles Behind the Miracles. And what he does is he looks at bodies of miracles and categories of miracles and talks about what God was really trying to say through those miracles. We tend to think they're all just proof that there's miracles, but not at all. There's a story being told through those miracles. And this week, he's going to focus on resurrection miracles throughout the Bible. You tend to think there's only one, but there's not. There's several places where death is brought to life. So he's going to talk about that Wednesdays. Doesn't cost anything. 6.30 p.m. Uh, to 8 o'clock uh, right here uh, in that theater. And then the last thing on here, our little feature of the week. So... Uh, Nicole, our graphic designer, had a little fun this week uh, and put my face on Uncle Sam there. Uh, Matt wants you. All right, so here's the deal. We are a family, and on Sunday mornings, there's a lot that goes on around here to make this a loving place, a place that removes obstacles to worship, that is warm and inviting and brings people into community. And it just requires us as family to be family members and to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So we need your help. We need you to help us you know, come a little early and greet. We need you to help us do uh, coffee pour overs, learn how to do that, set up community cafe, all those little things. We got a lot of hands and if we all chip in a little bit, we can do that, especially over the summer when a lot of folks are out. So uh, just be aware that we're going to kind of be tapping on the shoulder, talking to you about that, asking you to jump in and help uh, from time to time. Uh, this is kind of low hanging fruit stuff. You don't need to like sign up three months in advance and all that, but just be aware that we do need that and come back and see us at the Welcome Center. If you would specifically be interested in jumping in as one of these things, greeter, photographer, barista, community cafe crew, anything like that. So with all of that in mind, um, as Grant said, we continue in a series that we started last week. There's something to impor important to note about the beginning of the series. We started it last week on what we call Pentecost Sunday. Uh, and this was the Sunday in history when we remember that God sends his Holy Spirit to his church. In other words, he sends the power to do what he's called them to do in mission to love the world. He empowers them and then he says, get out, go into the world. And so in our liturgical calendar throughout the year, last Sunday was the day that we begin remembering 
that our call is to go into this city and seek its flourishing. And so we thought a good thing to talk about for the next several weeks as we find ourselves in this season of Pentecost, of going out, was to talk about this idea, this voice of reason. So, you know, we chose that phrase because, you know, the voice of reason is an expression you would associate with that person who comes into the room when everybody is confused and everybody's taking sides and everything else, and they come into the room and they just drop it. They drop it and everybody knows, oh, that's it. That's what we needed to know. And so that's our journey in this series, The Voice of Reason. Uh, we are going to base our series in the book of Proverbs. This is the, the, the Judeo-Christian um, accumulation of the wisdom of God for practical everyday living. So we're going to walk through this series by walking through some of these ancient Proverbs that they claim are timeless for all of history. But to do this meaningfully, I need you to do something with me for a moment. I need you to take a little moment and, and get to the right place and reflect on this. Last night I was at the gym. They were getting ready to close. And uh, the manager had been announcing that we were getting ready to close. And then it was 10 minutes, it's five minutes. And then sure enough, there's a bunch of people still working out right when they're supposed to close. And he makes one last announcement. He said, everybody, okay, um, it's time to go. And somebody over here, a group of guys over here, went on and goes, F you. Really loud. And I don't know what happened, but it just set me off. And I said, who said that? Manager comes over. He's fired up. Let me tell you what I started doing. I started sizing up this group of four or five guys, young guys. I started making all kinds of judgments about them by the way they dress, the way they look, their body language. I started assuming things about what they believed, what they did in their personal life and everything else. It was me and them. And then you know what happened? An army formed around me. Yeah, who said that? And our numbers swelled far greater than their numbers and we had the upper hand. And then all of a sudden it hits me. I've turned this into us and them. I have not loved these guys. What are they going to get? What are they going to walk away with? When I gather my tribe and we march over and we shout them down and we judge them and we tell them how it is and then they... What's going to come of that? So I had to go and apologize. I had to walk over there. I had to introduce myself and I said, listen. And they were, of course, denying that anybody had said anything. We all knew they had. And I had to go and apologize, not just for the, the fact that I might have falsely accused them, but for the way I approached them. And I had to say, listen, that's not going to get us anywhere the way I came at you. But here's what I'm saying. And I tried to explain that look, we just need to love each other. We need to take care of each other. You know, there's too much of that stuff out in the world. And I tried to say it. And it was all beautiful. And I walked away. And one of them went, F you. So it didn't go exactly as I had planned. <laughs> and they all came to Jesus. And here they are, Jim, Ted, and Bill right over here. Volunteering in the nursery in the next service. <laughs> we can't make this an us and them conversation. And when you've been in the church a long time, you know, the pastor's your guy, gets up there and preaches, and you think that what he's going to do is going to, yeah, we're going to give it to them. We're going to proclaim the truth. We're going to, you know, command their respect. And then if you're not a church person and you're new to all this, you're coming in there and you're going, yeah, yeah, they said that, we're, we disagree, and it's this us and them tribal thing, and that's not how God works. 
That's not how you change, by the way. You've you got to deal one-on-one with God. God has this incredible capacity to talk to everyone and everything at once in the whole universe, but also in a moment to talk to you like he's sitting next to you. So this series only has its effect if we do not set out to convince, but to discover together what wisdom is for us. So with that in mind, as I was working through my personal worship this week, and we pastors do that when we preach, we do personal worship along with you, and we actually contribute to the personal worship so that when you're doing yours, you're working with us toward preparation for Sunday. And uh, as I was doing that this week, I, I got to thinking about fear, because this, this week we're talking about fear and the fear of God, and I had this, I thought about fear itself, and I, and I, and I posted on Facebook and Instagram, tell me what your greatest fears are, and I got amazing, like in a couple hours I had 50 or 60 responses, and I more after that. And thank you to all of you who posted. Just a lot of really, some were funny, just a lot of really great insight. Uh, But one of our guys posted a video uh, that I think summarized all of our fears. So let's watch. I fear the uh, ocean at night the most. It's my biggest fear. Not being successful at what I want to do. To don't succeed in my life. Probably not being successful and upsetting my mom, probably. Not meeting my goals to be able to help my mother. Uh, my mom passing away. That's what I fear. If my mom dies, I don't know what I want to do if she dies. I guess losing my family. Family means the most to me. It means the world. Letting everyone down. Like the people I love the most. Being a disappointment to my family. I think I've came too far to let them down now. Disappointing my friends and my family. Probably tripping in public. That, that sucks. Huh. Being in the dark by myself. Being alone in the dark. Uh, the, the darkness and the unknown. Um, lions. Definitely lions. They're terrifying. The police. Not be a good father one day. I fear not being famous. That the future generations won't have a chance. Clowns. <laughs> I fear unhappiness. Kind of afraid of snakes, but like, um, like I guess death. I guess everybody fears death, though. Death. Uh, I fear dying an unnatural death. I fear death the most. Um, I fear death and my future. The fact that I don't know yet really what I want to do with my life. Although I'm young, but it's probably what I fear most. I don't fear death. I'm not scared of that. (laughs) Honestly, the future, because, like, the future is uncertain. Fear, the future, like, how, what I'm going to be doing in, like, ten years from now. Like, am I going to be, like, a teacher or, like, a hobo? being on camera the world that we live in won't end up being a world that we can live in maybe being forgotten after i die you know not doing anything important enough to be remembered after a few generations go by what i fear most is failing failure failure and underground small tight spaces i fear failure the most failure in life is failure and 
How'd they do? Did they capture it for you? It did for me. So I was thinking about this, this idea this week. This idea of fear and the fear of God. And it got me to thinking about gravity. You know, gravity is my friend. You may not think so. You know, you get older, you droop. The gravity doesn't help. But really, gravity is my friend. Gravity is what tethers me to the earth. It's what erases my fear that I might drift off into oblivion. Gravity is actually the thing that allows me to move through life with incredible precision to do and accomplish the things I set out to do. Gravity is, is a great friend to me until I rebel against it. Until I defy it and I go walk off a cliff. And then in a moment, gravity goes from being my helpful friend to the mouth of a lion. It becomes terrifying and it becomes unconcerned with my personal beliefs, with my hopes and dreams, with what I think should happen when I jump off a cliff. It doesn't care. It just does what gravity does. It does what lions do. It devours But you know what? I can't blame gravity for that. Gravity was the same before and after I defied it. I have to look at my defiance of gravity. So today, uh, our proverb says this. It says that our biggest fear should be God. That's this ancient premise. Our biggest fear should be God. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. So according to this ancient proverb, it's the requirement that to be wise, you have to surrender to God. God is gravity. And you know, it, it's become this idea that uh, people have have rebelled against the apparent um, oppression of it, you know, and it, it's almost become quaint, this old ancient idea that there used to be this, that there was this God who was full of fire and brimstone, who was just waiting at a moment's notice to just get you with a bolt of lightning if you did anything wrong. There's this old ancient sort of nostalgic notion that that idea is long gone. And we've replaced it um, at various times in history, not just today, with a rebuttal that can best be summarized in the phrase self-reliance. Self-reliance. Self-reliance says, I am gravity. I am the gravity of my life. Success is nothing more than living your life according to your own truth and your own terms. Probably my favorite expression, most beautiful expression, most eloquent expression of this notion of self-reliance is by uh, William Henry, a poem called Invictus. Maybe you studied it when you were in school or maybe you read it this week in your personal worship. William Henry, look at him. Steely-eyed. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole. I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the felled clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. 
Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Defiant self-reliance, defiance against this idea that there is a God and that God is the gravity. Instead, I am the gravity for my life. Emerson put it this way, nothing can bring you peace but yourself. Nothing can bring you peace but yourself. And you know, if you think about that in the context of ancient wisdom, there's probably some truth to that horizontally. In fact, there surely is. It's surely true that if you don't learn to stand for yourself, if you don't learn to stand against the crowd and not just follow people's whims and fancies, if you don't learn to stand up against the popular opinions for what's right, then surely you'll be consumed by them. But what about vertically? What about this idea that it's God's will or it's your will? This old notion of the fear of God, does it hold up against this rebuttal of self-reliance that I am the captain of my fate, that I'm the author of my truth, that I am my best teacher, that I am my best hope? Last week, Will said that there is a, a sort of a bad kind of fear and a good kind of fear. There's this phobic terror, that kind of fear. And then there's this good kind of fear, which is awe and reverence, which, by the way, contains within it a terrorizing fear as well. It's that, it's that fear that resides deep down under the reverence, that fear that comes out if you defy the gravity. It's that fear that happens in the moment from the top of the cliff to the valley. That's the kind of healthy fear and healthy terror one has when they, when they possess this good fear. And you need to know something from the Christian perspective. Everything came into existence Everything came into being as you know it In the context of awe and reverence Of that fear And here's what's fascinating about it It wasn't the awe and reverence first from the first people It was God's awe and reverence himself It was God's good fear you hear the story of creation. If you grew up in the church, you've probably heard it a thousand times. Or maybe you've just heard it out there in the world. But here's how it goes, okay? It goes like this. There is this God. There is this eternal, infinite being who is intelligent, who is personal, and possesses within himself all knowledge, every piece of code exists in his mind but has yet to be manifested into material reality. And so this God speaks out into eternity out of an overflow of his awe and reverence and creativity and beauty. And he says first, let there be light. Stop for a moment and think of all the lights you've ever seen. The blazing sun, the searing heat that comes off of it, your inability to even look at it for very long. The way it lights all it is. Imagine, imagine that moonlight that you see, that soft, peaceful blanket of light. Imagine 
the Milky Way, if you're somewhere where you can see it, and all the trillions of stars in the heavens. Imagine even coming into Fort Lauderdale on an airplane at night and just seeing a sea of light. God said, let there be light, and it came into existence. And when it came into existence, he said, it is good. And that's probably the most understated translation in all of the Bible. That word that we translate good is a word in Hebrew that is tov. And let me tell you what tov is. It's more than a word. It's really more of an expression. Here's what it means. It says, God created the heavens and the earth. It says, God created. He said, let there be light. And then he said, wow. That's what tov means. And then he kept going. And he said, and let's separate the land from the sea. Let there be land and sea. Wow. And then he said, and let's take the land and the sea and let's have it team with an incredible, diverse, exotic number of all kinds of miraculous creatures. Wow. God created the universe under the umbrella of his own awe and reverence for what he possessed. And in the crown of his creation, the crown of all of that, he said, and let us make a man and woman in our image. Poof. And there they came. And he said, they're going to be different than all of my other creation. They are going to be like me. They're going to be born into a sense of awe and reverence. They're going to be born into my love. They're going to love what I love. They're going to create like I create. They're going to tend this creation. And they are going to do those things that give them that same sense of love and awe that I have. Wow. That's the way things were supposed to be. You know when that ended? It ended in this moment when... They began to toy with this idea of self-reliance, this gravitational shift. It began when the God of the universe had instructed them not to eat of a certain tree in the garden because its fruit was, in a sense, eternally poisonous. And out of his benevolence and out of his infinite wisdom, which they did not have, out of his infinite power and love, which they did not possess, he said, you can do anything you want in this garden, but don't eat from that tree. And then the wheels of defiance began to turn. So when the woman saw that the tree was good and that it was the light to her eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes were both opened. And, when they, and they knew that they were naked. And they saw... Uh, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And then in this moment, the first great tragedy of human history. You ready? And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. 
and terrorizing fear entered into the world, not because God had changed and become terrifying, but because the man had changed. And in that moment, their reverent walk in awe in the garden fear turned to terrifying dread. The one who was their greatest friend, the one who was their greatest hope, security, the one on whose dangerousness uh, was their greatest protection, instead became their dread because to them God became a lion. He became the lion and in their minds that God became determined to devour them. So they had a choice. The choice was to try and run and hide, to stand defiantly while he devoured them because that's what lions do, or to turn back and trust him again, to expose their weakness to him again, their vulnerability, and see what he would do. Here's one thing they couldn't do. They could not deny that God was there. That he was who he was. That he was the king of the jungle. They could not deny that they were no match for him. And it was their attempt at self-reliance. It was their pride that made them doubt whether he was good. It was their own defiance against the gravity in their life that caused them to doubt his goodness. If I adopt this wisdom of terror, it's because I either believe God is evil and he's out to get me, or I believe that I'm evil and he should get me, or I believe he just simply doesn't exist. But boy, I sure understand that this world is awful. If I really think about it, with wisdom comes great sorrow, says the scripture. If I really think about it, it's, a, it's an awful place. And I'm going to die. I'm not the captain of that. I have to face that reality. If I embrace the wisdom of self-reliance, self and hear this, if I make an idol of my aloneness, well, then I have to ignore the lion's presence altogether, even though the evidence of him is manifest. I'm just delusional. But in either case, whether I adopt the, the, the proverb of terror or whether I adopt the proverb of self-reliance, in either case, I'm on my own. And do you know what happens when you're on your own? That's when the fears start creeping in. That's when all those things in the video start spinning around in your mind. Because do you know why? Because there's no lion between you and them. You're the lion. You're the gravity. And you better have enough power and you better have enough wisdom and you better have everything you need to face those overwhelming fears, including that one that is death. Or you swim in a sea of terror, if you're honest. Not being enough, being rejected, being alone, Losing the ones I love, being forgotten, being a fraud, losing control, being in over my head, facing uncertainty, facing death. You do that alone when you are your own gravity. Life has tested that throughout history and everybody in here, if you're honest, knows how that goes. 
So the Proverbs propose good fear. Good fear believes in a good God and acts accordingly. Let me say that again. Good fear believes in a good God and acts accordingly. Well, what does that mean? It's not simple enough to just say fear God, realize that you know, he's God and you're not and all that stuff. That's not all there is to it. To understand what good fear is, what good reverence is, it means this. It means that you, you love what God loves. You seek to be like him because you love him and because you know that he is gravity. So there are a couple things that you can take with you. First, good fear is humble. Good fear says God is God and I am not even when I don't understand him. Good fear is righteous. Now you hear that word righteous and you think of the little lady, you know, and she's telling you not to drink and smoke and all that sort of thing. That's what you think of as righteousness. Well, that's not what righteousness is in the Bible. Job, the guy who uh, God took everything away from, uh, whose, whose faithfulness was on trial before God and the devil, Job goes to defend himself before God. And what is his defense? His defense is not that I'm pure and I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't cuss and I don't hang out with people who do. That's not his defense. His defense that he is righteous is that he has cared for the poor. That he has fought for justice. That he has sought peace. That he has sought to create beauty. That he has loved people. That is righteousness. Righteousness in the scripture means the willingness to disadvantage yourself for the sake of others. Good fear is righteous. Good fear is selfless. Good fear is humble. Good fear is holy. Now that speaks to the don't do's. Here's what that means. Let me put that in a different perspective for you than just the moral perspective. Um, holiness means that I respect the laws of God's moral universe like I respect gravity. Let me say that again. Holiness means that I respect the laws of God's moral universe like I respect gravity. I realize, and I heard this from Jordan Peterson this week, that I get away with nothing. That in the end, I get away with nothing when I break the moral laws of the universe. It doesn't matter how many million times I jump off that cliff, gravity will always prevail. I will always end in the same way. There won't be that one time when I jump off the cliff and I can fly. What's well, the same with the moral universe? Somewhere, sometimes, some way, somehow, it will respond as it is designed to respond. Peterson says this, I cannot twist the fabric of reality and expect that it will not snap back. And when it does, it's not on me. It's not on reality. It's on me. When it snaps back and I pay the consequences, it's not for me to challenge reality and see it change. It's for me to let reality challenge me. That's good fear. Humble, righteous, holy. But finally, good fear is rooted in love. That's what was so wrong in what I did at the gym last night. I did not approach those men with good love I was in some sense fearless. I was ready to, you know, stand for the truth, but I was angry. I was self-righteous. I was tribal. I was not loving. Loving is dangerous, but it knows when to pull the sword. It's rooted in love. John says this, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. 
That works the other way too. If you don't know God, you can't know real love. That's why it says the beginning of wisdom is to fear God. Because if you don't know God, if you don't fear God, you cannot know real love. You don't know how to receive it fully. You don't know how to give it fully. Everybody knows that love is everything. The Beatles know that love is everything. All we need is love. Do you know who wrote that? John Lennon wrote that. Do you know what else he was doing while he was writing All We Need Is Love? He was imagining that there was no heaven. Even people who don't believe in God, who don't believe in heaven, still have that scent innate in them that it's all about love. The lover is God, the beloved is you. That is what turns terror to reverence when you realize that that lion who could eat you instead throws you on his back and walks with you in the garden. You know the first time the word love appears in the Bible? This is kind of fascinating. The first time love ever appears in the Bible is when Abraham is supposed to sacrifice his son Isaac to reconcile himself to God. God commands him to do this and it's the first time the word love appears in all of scripture. It says... Abraham, I want you to take your son, Isaac, whom you love. And I want you to sacrifice him to me, to reconcile you to me. You know what the real question is? It's the same, it's the same command as he gives Adam and Eve in the garden. Abraham, trust me. Put yourself in my hands. And you hear that, and, and the modern sensibility says, well, that is just horrible. What a cruel, cruel way for God to test Abraham. But don't you see? First of all, Abraham had no reason to doubt God. Abraham, just like the rest of us, had at some point chosen to doubt God. Abraham had no reason, given the evidence, to take God and to say, I don't know if I can trust him with this decision. That's one thing. But the second thing is, don't you see? It wasn't just about Abraham being tested. It was about God allowing himself to be tested. Abraham, put yourself in the lion's mouth and see what happens. And when he did that, God withdrew the command. He provided a different sacrifice. And what he was saying in that moment is, don't you see, I love you. These sacrifices won't save you, but mine will. And I'll lay my son on the altar for you. And there will be no ram in the thicket. Trust me. Climb in the lion's mouth and see what happens. In that moment, when we see God face to face beyond that veil, we will, in an instant, know both why we should fear God and be terrified by him, and at the same time, why we do not need to be. That's the wisdom of the Proverbs. Proverbs 19.23, it says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. And whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. That's the fear of the Lord. Climb in the lion's mouth and he'll throw you on his back and he'll take you for a walk in the garden. Let's pray. Lord God, it certainly isn't easy 
to make ourselves vulnerable to a lion, especially when this world is so full of lions who are not just, who are not righteous, holy, loving. When there have been lions who have used their power to abuse us, it's hard to imagine the lion who would throw us on his back. So as we spend these next few minutes reflecting on what it means to fear you with a good fear, we pray that you'd help us to look beyond, to overcome all of those limitations of this life. Give us the courage to make ourselves vulnerable to you and see what you do. In Jesus' name, amen.